Welcome to the Three Vital V's. My name is Paul Davidson. And I am Scott Norman. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing excerpt-based teaching. Uh, okay, it, that doesn't start with a V. That starts with an E. I can do that much English. <laughs> well, the V that this the concept of excerpt-based teaching would fall under uh, volume. Okay, so that's what we did last time. We're continuing the idea of volume. You're just showing us some insights onto how. Yes, and this is because in order to truly bring a sizable volume of text to students, excerpt-based teaching is almost required. So... I know that you uh, kind of were explaining some of the ideas you got last time we were discussing this. How did you run into this idea, excerpt-based teaching? I first started to grok the importance of excerpt-based teaching during my LCT 8636 teaching literature class. We read Edwin Turner's post, A Few Thoughts on Not Teaching the Canon, on his blog, Biblioclept. In this blog post, Turner discusses how he does not teach books. In fact, he never has his students read an entire book. Instead, Turner argues that we as English teachers should focus on exposing our students to a wide range of voices, styles, and purposes. Far too often, all we do in English class are deep delves on a handful of canonical novels that often many students tune out of before we're done with the first week of reading. Uh, English is supposed to be about exploring how language works. And we're really not doing that if we are only exposing students to one voice slash style slash purpose for a prolonged time. I'm sorry. I was just chuckling when you talked about tuning out novels because in my uh, junior year English class, I can distinctly remember setting myself up in the back corner. There was like literally this awkward corner of the room where it wasn't like a 90 degree angle. It was, you know, a little bit bigger. And, uh, it was an obtuse angle. It was an obtuse angle. We know math. Yeah, it was an obtuse angle, and there was a bookshelf that didn't quite fit in the corner, but I did, and so I'd slide my chair back there and rest my head in the little wedge between the edge of the bookshelf and the wall and sleep the whole hour. So you would tu- you turn I, you you tuned out I on tuned, the first week. I tuned out the whole class. Well, I didn't do it every time, but I, I after I got reading because I would like to I read really fast and we'd read so slow in class I would just sleep through it and then she'd like call on me and I'd wake up and answer the question and go back to sleep and guess what with excerpt based teaching it wouldn't take as long yeah because you're only getting a little snippet of it so I am uh curious then how long because I mean I tuned out pretty darn quick how long are these excerpts you're talking about? How long do they need to be? Well, luckily, shortly after reading that Edwin uh, Turner blog post, I read Connected Reading by Kristen Halley Turner and Troy Hicks. And on page 62 of that book, Turner and Hicks begin to discuss short-form, mid-form, and long-form text. Okay. Short-form texts are ones that are less than 100 words. Uh, social media posts, headlines, search engine results, and like the things that, like instant messaging. Okay. Long-form texts are ones that are longer than 5,000 words. So we're talking about academic journal articles, long-form journalism, and just any book, that normal book that you would pick up that's longer than 5,000 words. C-spot run? Uh, no, that would probably be... Uh, Short-form? No, no, that would probably be mid-form, Okay. Uh, mid-form texts are the ones that are smack dab in the middle, 100 to 5,000 words, and they are short enough to read and comprehend in one setting... Or exactly what we need for excerpt-based teaching. So 100 to 5,000 words is excerpt-based teaching range. Okay, so this is this is the stuff that, like, I'll read. If I'm scrolling through ESPN and I click on an article about, like, who's being traded where. While you're scrolling, you're encountering the headline, which is the short form. And okay. once you click on it, that would bring up the mid-form text. And this is bringing you back to before I switched over to social studies education and was doing mass comm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... 
that's that would be considered a mid-form text, like an article online? Yes. Okay. An online article would be considered mid-form text. And luckily, there are a handful of digital text out there, like you were mentioning, mm-hmm. that we teachers could use to provide a wide variety of voices, styles, and purposes that would fit that mid-form text range. While eventually you would want to bring those texts into the conversation, the thing that Turner and Hicks don't point out is how you can take your existing text and actually trim them down to fit the mid-form text excerpt sweet spot. So when you talk about trimming it down, what what are you talking? Give me an example of something like where you would take a long form text, a book or something, and trim it down like that. Okay, so let's pick a play like uh, the tragedy of Julius Caesar. Your favorite, my favorite. <laughs> we wouldn't have to force the kids to sit through that entire play. We mm-hmm. would take the main points that they would need to get and interact with those. They would still have a good idea of what st- how the style is developed, how the play is developed, but they wouldn't have to sit through. Uh, scenes that are necessarily vital to the thing. So they wouldn't have to sit through uh, Portia being like, oh, I know something's so wrong with Brutus, uh, but I can't do anything about it. Or You just cut straight to shankity shank et tu brute. Yeah, or, <laughs> you wouldn't, or you wouldn't have to have Artemidorus saying, oh, I have this list of all these names. You wouldn't have to do it. You could quickly, once you get to that point in, chat, in uh, Act 3, be like, hey, by the way, this dude right here, uh, we skipped over this, but this list that he's handing him it has every name on it. And watch what Caesar does. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating your own adapted, abridged version of a text, like Wishbone. Yes, but uh, and by doing that, one it require it requires you to flex your muscle as a teacher to figure out what is needed for the students. But two, you're getting to just the main things that they need to interact with the main the main ways that an author paints a particular scene, the main plot point that they need to wrap their head around, the main area that they are developing this particular idea that uh, they're interacting with. And on top of that, like we already kind of use excerpt-based teaching a lot. What Those stupid standardized tests that I talked about on the last episode. Our excerpts, yeah. Yeah, that's all they're giving the students excerpts. So that is a, actually kind of feeding into teaching to the test, even though it's a dirty word, that's kind of what we're doing. And heck, in social studies class, mm-hmm. are you actually having them read the entire primary source document most of the time? Not unless it's like a speech or a letter. Pretty much anything else, yeah, we're taking a snippet out of a book or or out of somebody's, you know, uh, well, I guess that would still be a book. I was going to say out of somebody's biography or something like that. Um, Yeah, you're using an excerpt already. Yeah. And basically it's just pivoting into this thing that teachers already have access to that is already widely viewed, but it has this weird negative stigma attached to it. Like, no, we have to swallow the entire uh, cow. No, we don't. We can just eat a hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how she swallowed a cow. (laughs) Anyway, so, uh, I'm sorry. My brain is now picturing someone attempting to swallow a cow. Um, I would say then that if you're looking at this, another cool thing about it is the fact that you'll have students, if you do that, say with a Julius Caesar or with a novel, then they'll look at it and be intrigued enough that they'll want to go read the yeah. whole thing. Think of it like a teaser a little bit. If they, yeah. cause a lot like of, a trailer. Yeah, a lot of teachers are like, but I want them to actually appreciate all of this literature. Well, if they like that little snippet they get, they'll actually go out and find it on their own. Yeah. They'll actually ask you, hey, do you have this? Can I actually read the whole thing? And that actually puts more power in the student's hands. And so instead of force-feeding them this giant piece of information, we're now allowing them to see a lot more different uh, perspectives and allowing them to actually have a chance to engage with something that actually might interest them instead of boring them to death with one thing that they've tuned out of. 
So one other thing before we, you know, before we close here, I, I want to talk about is just the idea, because we talked last episode about the idea of volume and writing and reading together and how they're inextricably linked. You have to talk about both of them at the same time and you have to do both at the same time. Um, and one of the things that I think is really cool as far as excerpt-based teaching and using those smaller texts that you have talked about in your class, and I know because students came to me saying, Mr. Norman, why did you write this Amazon review <laughs> that I did not write, um, is because they actually are able to, if you're doing excerpts like this, you're doing small pieces, review things as literature that are like an Amazon review of a product. Could you kind of explain that a little bit? Because I think that's really cool, but I want to hear a little bit more of the the working behind how that reading and writing becomes linked. You know how we'll do that? On the next episode when we start talking about variety in uh, the English classroom. Man, I'm excited. <laughs> this was a TDWG presentation.